Time now for AliCast, a deep dive into innovative and emerging trends in e-commerce, online payments, and digital entertainment. Brought to you by Alibaba Group, we'll offer insights about Chinese consumers and brands doing business in China. We'll delve into global online retail, cloud computing, big data, and other must-know topics and issues in and around one of China's largest companies. I'm Adam Najberg. It may surprise some listeners, but by a number of different measures, China passed the United States as the world's largest retail market last year. The world's most populous country has a middle class that's bigger than the entire U.S. population. And a McKinsey report says it'll grow to about double that size over the next several years. The middle class in China is tech savvy. They have and use smartphones. They like to shop and they have the money to do it. It's important to understand Chinese consumers. Who are they? What do they want? How do they view the world? And more importantly, if you step back, what do their rising numbers and ever-growing buying power mean for China's economy and the rest of the world? Fortunately, we have an expert with us to answer those questions and more. Joining Alicast today is the esteemed Jeffrey Towson. Jeff's an investor and consultant, has been for over 20 years. He's developed over $25 billion of projects in real estate, hotels, banks, insurance, healthcare, consumer products, retail, technology, petrochemicals, and energy and infrastructure. He's a best-selling author, a professor, the managing partner of Towson Capital, a niche investment and consulting company focused on healthcare and consumer-facing businesses in the U.S. and Asia. Most importantly, he's a China expert, and he has spent a lot of time thinking about the Chinese consumer and what will happen with the rise of the Chinese consumer and Chinese consumption overall in the coming years. Jeff, so pleased you could come on AliCast. Welcome. Great. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, you call it uh, in, in some of your speaking engagements, China 2025, where you detail how China and Asia are going to be transformed by rising Chinese consumers. Tell us more. What What is it all about? I think what we what I started to look at was just how dramatic China has changed in just the last five years. And, and probably within that, the biggest story has been the rise, the emergence of Chinese consumers who went from something nobody talked about in 2010 to, you know, they're, they're in the news every day now. They are impacting tourism in Paris, uh, avocado sales, real estate prices in Toronto. They're hitting ever, and this is just in the last five years. So I wanted to sort of project forward and say, look, we're just at the start of this. Let, let's look a little bit further down the road. And so sort of started looking at 2025. What is this group going to look like? What is China going to look like? What is interaction with the rest of the world going to look like? Um, and, you know, there, there's a great Bill Gates quote that, you know, people tend to overestimate what they can accomplish in a year, but underestimate what they can accomplish in 10 years. Uh, so it's kind of with that sort of time horizon, which Jack Ma talks about a 10 year horizon as well uh, in a lot of his plans. So in terms of China 2025, I, mean, I would just say think about three numbers. There's a ton you can talk about, but think about three numbers. Uh, number one is one billion urban dwellers. There are about 600 million, 700 million Chinese living in cities now. They're still moving in from the countryside. This process is still happening. Um, in the next seven or eight years, they're going to add about another 300 million. We'll hit about a billion people living in Chinese cities at about 2025. Uh, and that'll be 400 cities. Uh, this urban population is a big deal. So think one billion. Second number to think about is 250 middle class families. Uh, spending in China, in most places, really, it's not per capita. 
it, it really happens at the household level. People save for their children's education. They buy health care together. They take care of their parents, their grandparents. So it's really these families that you want to think about. And in 2025, there'll be 250 million of the families, which gets you, you know, a lot more total people. That's going to be the big unit of spending. And then the third one to think about is 75 million Chinese graduates of college and postgraduate. We've never seen this many people with this type of higher education before. Engineers, scientists, industrial engineers, graphic designers, animators. We're seeing a huge educated population emerging, and that's going to play out in a lot of industries. So I'd say those are kind of the big three numbers to think about. So one billion, two hundred fifty million, and seventy-five million are the three numbers we should bear in mind. Jeff, could you help us draw a picture of? A Chinese consumer is there one picture or, or how do you separate out the different kinds of consumers and how important are, are different age groups like Millennials or different sexes men and women to building out the retail market in China All right, this is where my work is really fun because you know ten years ago eight years ago you could write these general China books and you could talk about Chinese consumers but they have exploded in complexity um, you have to be very granular now and much it's much more complex one it's large and two it's much more complex than you might find in the united states because you're not dealing with a developed economy with certain people at a certain level of income you have everything from very sophisticated global travelers who live in beijing and shanghai um, to very rural farm people and you know a friend of mine says, you know, when you get on a train in Beijing and leave the city, you basically can go back in time hour by hour. You can go from dealing with health conditions like diabetes and obesity, which are kind of wealthy country diseases. You can go all the way back and, and have the Black Plague, which still does exist in China. You can have cholera. Uh, you can see people living in huts. So you have this massive spectrum of lifestyle, of income, of sophistication, um, and that's part of the, I mean, the complexity is unbelievable now. So, I mean, I look at a lot of granular things. I look at seniors, uh, about 180 million seniors in China. Uh, moms, Chinese moms are a very important demographic. There's more Chinese moms than people that live in the United States. Uh, when you talk, hear things about food safety, food scandals, um, pollution, those are more often than not, almost always, Chinese mothers worried about their kids. They're really China mom stories. Um, I'll give you a couple more. Uh, sports consumers. By every measure I can see, Chinese fans of soccer and whatever are the most enthusiastic fans on the planet. More than Germany, more than Brazil, more than the UK. Um, what else? Inland consumers. China's big backyard. If you go west... Suddenly, you're in these huge, expansive plains. Those consumers are very, very different. Uh, and you can just go sort of bucket by bucket. Young consumers, millennials are a big deal. Um, that's probably where you know, 30 to 40 percent of the growth in spending is going to come from. So you just go bucket by bucket, and they're, they're all over the map. So when you look at those buckets, what are the buckets? You just mentioned one of them at least, but what, what, which buckets in particular are the ones that are really going to – uh, explode in China, the ones that we have to take notice of globally? I mean, it depends where you are. Like, um, 
let's say you're a Chinese retailer. Uh, maybe you're selling air conditioners. You're a hire or something, you know, a Walmart. Those companies right now are focusing on a lot of third tier cities. They're going inland. You know, they're already in Shanghai. They're already in Beijing. So for them, the focus is where's the next growth. Uh, and so they're tending to go inland. You'll see that story all the time. Um, but if you're, a, you know, if you're an in vitro fertilization clinic in Los Angeles, you know, these, these you know, relatively small companies are getting inundated with Chinese families flying in. Suddenly in a couple of years, 20, 30, 40% of their clients are now Chinese flying in. Uh, if you're selling homes in Pasadena, that's a different demographic. Um, so it kind of depends on what, what you're looking at. Uh, but sort of the mainland growth story is tending to push out into the more rural areas. Um, the international story tends to be more of the middle and upper class that is sort of going global for the first time. You know, five, six years ago, you didn't really hear about Chinese tourists. Now you got 110, 120 million per year. Um, and, you know, I remember two or three years ago, you know, the majority of those people were leaving the country for the first time. So I mean, it really depends on where you're looking, but um, those tend to be, I think, the simplest buckets to think about. Is travel one of the, the big lifestyle upgrades that, that you uh, talk about in your presentations? What kind of global ripple effects can, can we expect to see? I mean, if you look at the most common word you'll hear when you start talking about China consumer business is this word of upgrades. Uh, venture capitalists talk about this all the time. It's all about upgrades. Fosun talks about this all the time when they buy, you know, various cruise ships or whatever. They're always talking about upgrades. Um, and really, I mean, I, I, the word I like is takeoff points. There's a really interesting phenomenon where the middle class, that 250 million families, their wealth keeps increasing. And as it increases, they hit certain price points where suddenly things that they've probably seen their whole life suddenly become affordable for the first time. And when that happens, you, I mean, the, the numbers just pop. Uh, the sales go through the roof. You know, suddenly everyone can afford an iPhone and iPhone sales in China just jump off the charts. Uh, now, as that wave passes, the growth slows and it's more normal growth. So car sales today in China, let's say they're growing at 4 to 5%. That's fairly normal for China's overall development. But SUV sales are up in the 10 to 20% because they're still in that takeoff point. So you always look for when the wave hits certain things. You know, now the middle class can afford almost to buy a second home outside of China. Uh, so that's an issue. Now they can take vacations to Europe for the first time, which they typically couldn't before. So that's kind of the thing you look for. Now they can afford avocados and fresh groceries, which they couldn't before. And so, you know, sales of stuff out of Australia go through the roof. So that, that's kind of a good number to think about. Um, in your presentations, you also referred to disruptive digital Chinese consumers. What, what do you mean and, and disruptive to what or whom? The, I mean, what is really fascinating, this is kind of what I'm working on right now, is this idea that we're seeing this huge digital disruption happening. Now, we're seeing it in a lot of places in the world. It's not just China. Um, although I think in some respects it's happening faster in China. I mean, we don't see mobile payments happening anywhere like we do in China. Um, 
But the difference with China is this disruptive wave, let's say for retail, is happening before the main traditional industry was actually finished being built. You know, e-commerce, Alibaba, obviously, you know, is coming through and changing everything about retail, but the main retail infrastructure of China really hasn't been built out yet. You know, there might be a big Walmart or a big car for a big, you know, store, but when you start going out of the top tier cities, you know, you're still seeing a lot of small little mom and pop type shops. You know, that's different than what Amazon is doing in the United States, where it's, you know, it's hitting shopping malls and, you know, more established the assets haven't been built in China. So that disruption is really quite powerful. Um, Hollywood is another example, like, um, you know, Alibaba pictures, Tencent pictures, these sort of data-driven entertainment companies, sort of like Netflix and Amazon, you know, they're hitting the traditional studio business, but the traditional studio business and cinema business in China hasn't really been built yet. I mean, it's only halfway there. Uh, it's like Netflix came on the scene before Warner Brothers really got going. So that sort of disruption is really interesting to watch. Um, and I think the, the number one area that's being hit is retail. It's, I want to say devastating, but yeah, it's massive, the impact. If I can just, just follow up on that, let, let's, uh, I'm not changing gears here, but I'm curious uh, because we keep talking about, yes, there are different buckets, but we keep talking about the Chinese consumer so that a lot of listeners in the Western world will understand how are Chinese consumers different from U.S. consumers, for example? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all over the map. Um, let's say we're talking about, I mean, the biggest difference is, is online. Everything is happening, not online, mobile. Everything's happening on a smartphone now. Um, your average American, let's say, pays for things without cash, which would be credit card, debit card, uh, gift card. Let's say an average of 20 to 30 times per month for all non-cash types of payments. Your average Chinese pays with a cell phone, a mobile payment, over 50 times per month alone. I mean, everybody has switched to their phones. Um, all the internet browsing is online. All the music streaming and listening is mobile phones. I mean, the shift onto mobile has been dramatic. Um, you know, we used to talk about online consumers. We don't really talk about that. All consumers are online now. I mean, it's just everybody. So that would be kind of a difference. Um, if we look at something, say, like Chinese moms, um, they're going to be different than, let's say, American moms. I'm an American. Uh, it is very one. It is very common for a, a Chinese mother to control the family spending to a far greater degree. And there was a MasterCard study in 2010, and they asked Chinese moms, "Do you control the spending for the whole family?" And 75% of moms said yes. I mean, to the point where sometimes they will just give the husband a budget to live off of. They've never lived in so my house. Right. I mean, you will actually see that phenomenon in other countries that um, often the mother will control a lot of the household spending for food and the kid and whatever. It's just more in China. Right. Right. And her sensitivity to things is going to be far greater because, one, they probably only have one child. The pollution risks, the health risks, uh, the food safety risks, those things are all greater. China is a more dangerous place to live than Sweden. 
Um, so it's sort of a lot of that stuff is just heightened. Um, so they tend to um, be a very powerful and they also tend to spend for the children, the husband and the grandparents who they often take care of. So they're kind of these super consumers. So you see lots of differences like that. What about the expectations? Uh, of course, every consumer brands hope or retailers hope they're they're going online to buy something. But what's different about what an American consumer expects online and a Chinese consumer expects online? Yeah, I mean, that's hard to generalize about. Um, I mean, Chinese web pages are just, they look very different. Everything looks different, right? They're, the Chinese internet is different. It's it's a different animal. Uh, you know, the number one language of the Internet globally is Chinese now. It passed, you know, English several years ago. Um, you know, most people outside of China probably have never used WeChat. Uh, they, they probably never used Tmall. Uh, you know, they're not watching their videos and playing their online games. You know, online sports, like, you know, basically video games online, it's a $7 billion industry in China now. I mean, that's approaching Hollywood's revenue from cinema releases. Uh, so it's just all over the map. Um, Made to, which is a really fascinating company. It's this, um, it's a photo app. You take a picture of yourself on your phone and you can make yourself look better, different. You can make your skin a different color. You can make your eyes bigger, make your thin, you know, your, your chin narrower. Um, Chinese women went crazy for this app, and in the matter of a couple of years, 400 million Chinese women downloaded and used this app. There's nothing like it in the U.S. or Europe, as far as I know. Um, so it's you know it's just all over the. It's just a different animal, I think. Uh, what is it that the the Chinese companies like Alibaba, like Tencent, and others understand? about the consumers that makes them so successful in what, in what they do? Yeah, it's, this one's hard to generalize about. You'll, you'll, hear, you'll hear generalizations like this, that Chinese companies don't plan as much. They just do stuff and see what works and then improve. You know, there's, there's often like much less of a strategy development or product development period in China versus, say, the United States. You know, people just do stuff and then you iterate. Um, I don't really find that to be the, I mean, that is true, I think, but you know, what I really just look at is management quality. Um, you just have really good internet entrepreneurs now in China. Um, a guy like Jack Ma, Alibaba, I mean, he is really just coming into the top of his game. He has been a serial entrepreneur since what, 1998, um, you know, about 20 years. I mean, he's like Steve Jobs circa 1997 now he's just coming into his prime uh a guy like him uh, a lot of these companies there's a whole sea of really seasoned entrepreneurs in the internet space in china and venture capitalists and they are very good at moving quick and adjusting and reiterating and um i think they're just really getting you know their speed their stride right now a company like tencent um you know, a company like that can blow the doors off a company like Facebook. You know, Tencent releases a groundbreaking, entirely new product about every 18 months. You know, there was WeChat. Nobody saw that coming. They did online gaming. They did QQ Messenger. I mean, they come up with some entirely new play. 
a little bit like Google. I think Google is similar. They keep coming up with just new stuff. Um, so, I mean, I, I tend to point more than anything else to management quality. Jeffrey, what I appreciate about you is you're not just an academic, but you're a guy who puts his money where his mouth is. You're an investor. So you kind of bring both sides of it, the case studies and, and the life experience. I could speak to you all day. We're out of time for now. I'd like to have you back in Alleycast in the future. And I just want to say thank you for being here and sharing the wisdom. You've been listening to Alleycast a regular podcast from the Alibaba Group. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Adam Najberg.